Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Blue White Breakdown. The premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown. Brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Bob Flounders and Johnny McGonigal. Penn State fans, it's Northwestern week for James Franklin's sixth ranked, you know, 4-0 team. What a whiteout, Johnny McGonigal. Bob Flounders, Johnny McGonigal here. Trying to take you through James Franklin's Tuesday news conference. Also, with our minds still fresh from watching the way that they just manhandled uh, Kirk Ferentz's team. Johnny, how are you? We're trying not to get too excited because the bye week is right after the Northwestern game. And I know that's got a smile on your face. It's got a smile on on my face. But as as we approach the start of Northwestern week, I know that this is going to be a game where Penn State probably – has has quite the uh, advantage going into the game. But I, I think we could talk a little bit, if you'd like, maybe just real quickly about Iowa. You and I haven't really gotten together, maybe to kind of share our thoughts. It's about 48 hours, 60 hours after the game. But I think Penn State fans were pleasantly surprised just how one-sided that game was. Yeah, Bob. Uh, first of all, at the top, uh, listeners, Bob, you can probably hear I'm a little under the weather. So uh, stuffy nose, not not whiny tone. So hopefully it doesn't come off that way. I think I might have caught something when I was uh, walking to my car uh, after after the game. Three o'clock in the morning. Or yeah. <laughs> yep. We were we were shielded from most of the rain in the press box. So I cannot complain if listeners, if you're dealing with something as well, shifting the weather uh, is what it is. But hey, Penn State, they fought through any of those. Uh, you know, weather conditions, they fought through an Iowa team that frankly didn't pose much of a test once the game started. Uh, this was a blowout. I mean, it was domination in every as- aspect. Really, the only thing Iowa had going for it was Tory Taylor is a really good punter. And that's, about <laughs> it. that's not me making a joke. Like, that's just, you know, Penn State He's was a big part team. of what they do. He really is. You know, Penn State dominated them on both sides of the ball, got after it on the defensive end. We've been waiting for. You know, the pass rush that has been pressuring the quarterback, but not necessarily getting home. I mean, we saw a master class from Chop Robinson, Adisa Isaac getting in on it, Denai Dennis Sutton, uh, me and Vanover late with a, a forced fumble. The offense, you know, Drew didn't have to do a whole lot. I mean, he threw for four touchdown passes. They were all red zone touchdowns, only had 166 passing yards. But they really just, they just meticulously and methodically just beat Iowa at its own game. You know, three of those four touchdown passes to tight ends. I'm sure Brian Ferentz was like the, the Arthur meme of like the closed fist. Like very upset, you know, that Penn State was doing that to them. Uh, but, you know, and then Nick Singleton, Katron Allen, we combined for 121 rushing yards. I think they only average about three and a half yards a carry. Uh, so it's not gaudy numbers by any means. But if you look at the time of possession, you look at the total plays. I mean, it was a, a, a historic game, you know, for Penn State. They only made 18 tackles. You know, or, or, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I think it was 18 solo tackles, 24 total on 33 plays. Like that, that's unheard of. I, I went back and as far back as, you know, CFBstats.com will go is 2009. 
And Penn's, that was the lowest tackle total single game for a Penn State team since at least 2008. So it was an, a, a crazy game in, in all the stats and everything. But if you just look at it, you know, from you know, you're just watching the game, like, yeah, Penn State just dominated that thing. You know, it's easy, it's easy in hindsight to, to think about it the way that we're talking about it. But really, Iowa is built to win only really one way, Johnny. And it, it's, it's been pretty much that as long as Kirk Ferentz has been there. He's had more talented teams, but their approach is, is pretty much steady. And it's why every once in a while they can spring uh, an unbelievable upset that no one sees coming. And it's also why they, in a lot of games, it's, it's a one-possession game until the final minutes and they either win or lose it. If they don't win the turnover battle, if they, if they don't win the turnover bar battle, if they, if they don't protect the ball and they don't force turnovers against a good team, they've got no shot. They just don't. And in that weather, um, I think the turnover, I think it was four to nothing, I believe, um, all fumbles. Um, they almost had a fumble on a punt that would have been a big play, but they, they, they rely so much on, on that phase of the game and the kicking game to be difference makers for them. If you neutralize that or you're better at it than they are, and they're on the road in a whiteout. They got no shot. They got none. They had a drive early in the game. They had to get a lead. They turned it over. And ever, you know, right after that, really, Penn State started to seize control of the game. And I think, Johnny, that in, the, in those conditions against that team, I think Penn State's game plan on offense really made a lot of sense. I think they did it the right way. I think they discouraged Iowa. And I think Iowa's offensive coordinator and the quarterback knew pretty early on that it was going to be really, really tough to convert third downs and to make plays against this Penn State's defense. And once Penn State, even though it was only 10-0 at halftime, I think we both felt like if Penn State the ne- if Penn State got the next score, the game was literally going to be over for Iowa. So I just think that you have to credit Penn State for the way that they're playing. It's great to have explosive plays, but if they're not there, they are good enough and they protect the ball well enough to really pull away from teams. And it's been that story consistently through all four games. Yeah, you have to give credit to Mike Yersich, the offensive coordinator, who stuck with that game plan, didn't deviate. Uh, I'm sure as a play caller, I know when I'm playing Madden, uh, I always want to take a deep shot, but sometimes it just doesn't make <laughs> yeah. sense. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. So credit to Yersich for keeping with what was working. Credit to Drew for not forcing anything. Credit to the running backs for doing their job. And credit to the offensive line, <clears throat> excuse me, and the tight ends, as well as blockers. I mean, they just they just mauled. Iowa's defense and I was talking to Olu Fashionu after the game and I asked him I'm like do you sense can you sense frustration from a defense did you sense frustration from that Iowa defense when you guys are getting you know four or five six yards a pop you know kind of like in a methodical like we're just going to keep doing this fashion and Olu said that look if we just you know stayed within our game plan kept taking body shots we knew that the Iowa defense couldn't hang with us and I thought that was telling because on the other side of the ball, the defense felt the same way. Um, I think it might have been Denai Dennis Sutton said after the game, or it was Chop Robinson, that basically on the first drive, they knew that they kind of had Iowa's offense you know, pegged in. And look, without Luke Lachey, their star tight end, without their top two tailbacks, I mean, even if Luke Lachey and those guys play, like I still think this is – they might have scored a touchdown, maybe. But I still think this is a blowout. Uh, it, it's a game that you know Penn State fans reveled in. Uh, that Penn State's players and coaches reveled in. And now that, you know, they're 4-0, they got to turn the page. Uh, they got Northwestern upcoming this weekend, a team that came back from a 21-point fourth-quarter deficit to beat Minnesota uh, this past weekend. Not saying Minnesota's a great team by any means. There's a reason why 
Penn State is a 26-point favorite against Wildcats. But you know, Penn State is positioned now to, to end up being 6-0 and going into that uh, Ohio State game on October 21st. Yeah, because you've got Northwestern, bye week, uh, UMass, and then Ohio State. Yeah. Johnny, one more thing before we get to James Franklin's Tuesday news conference. But I think it's important to bring up, there was no talk about it in the build-up to the game. But afterwards, uh, I think it was denied Dennis Sutton admitted that Penn State's coaching staff and their veteran players were pissed. They were very upset at, at what happened, how the, how the Iowa crowd and the Iowa coaching staff treated Penn State in that uh, 2021 game uh, at Kinnick Stadium, 23-20. Penn State had a lot of players go down, whether it was cramps, whether it was injuries that they aggravated, whether it was P.J. Mustafer wrecking his knee, wrecking his knee. And those fans booed Penn State's players relentlessly. And then Kirk Ferentz and his coaching staff piled on during the game and after. And I, I, I had a feeling James Franklin is a guy that he, he can play it coy, Johnny. But I, I had there was no doubt in my mind that this was gonna this was gonna be a motivator for Penn State's coaching staff and also some of their players. And they talked about it after the game. James Franklin showed some incidents of, from that game of the booing, and I think it was the special teams coach, you know, flopping on the ground to kind of mimic what he thought Penn State's players were doing. It was really, really, you know, unprofessional by Kirk Ferentz and his staff to, to respond that way. You can't control the fans, right? Especially when there's booze involved. You really can't control. But for them to say that, I just thought there is no chance that Penn State's not going to remember that. They did remember it. And I thought that defense was a little bit friskier than they normally are. And it turns out they really, really wanted to get after Iowa. Yeah, the defense. And then, again, I mentioned the offensive line, too. I went on Instagram the other day and saw that Caden Wallace – you know, starting right tackle, he was on that team, and he actually posted something after the Iowa game. It was a picture of the one fan, the Iowa fan that that has been the picture of that fan has circulated for a couple of years now of him like faking the injury and acting whatever. And the next slide of Caden's post was Michael Jordan from his uh, Last Dance documentary saying, "And I took that personally." So that was kind of the the mindset, the approach of this entire team. And, and you could tell. You could tell on the defensive side of the ball the way they got after it, the way that they were enjoying themselves. You know, they were kind of basking in Iowa's offensive misery. Uh, and then from Penn State's offense standpoint, any time that th- those linemen, you know, Olu, Caden, the guys on the inside, any time they had a chance at a pancake, they took it. They, they, they wanted to assert themselves. They wanted to kind of snatch Iowa's spirit early and just break them down. And, and that's what they did. You know, that is exactly what they did in this game. And, you know, coming off a game in Illinois, when any Olu even mentioned this after the Iowa game, that Olu felt that the that the defense put the offense on their back and, you know, the offense didn't really reciprocate. They didn't play complimentary football to the standard that they feel that they can at Illinois. They did it against Iowa. They did it. They did it there. And it's a good sign. It's a really good sign. And look, Iowa is not Ohio State or Michigan, so let's not get that confused by any means. But this is still a good team. It's probably the third best team they'll face all year. And you know, for them to go out and do it to them uh, like they did, beating them in their own, their own way, was really impressive. This is the Blue White Breakdown. It's the Blue White Breakdown. It's the week before Penn State's bye week. The Lions are 4-0 after pummeling Iowa. Johnny, we have an early start, as does Penn State. 
on Saturday against Northwestern at Ryan Field in Evanston, Illinois. A stone's throw, thank goodness, from O'Hare Airport as we try to get out on Sunday to start the bye week. But Penn State, the line now is up to 26 and a half. The game is a noon kick as far as Penn State's fans on the East Coast are concerned. The game is Central Standard Time, so it's going to be an 11 a.m. kick, exactly like the Illinois game was a couple of weeks ago. Penn State is a 26-and-a-half-point favorite. Johnny, you mentioned – I couldn't believe it when I – when I because I was a little – we were all a little groggy, like, at the very end of the Penn State game after we got all our work done. And we're, we're looking through the scores in the Big Ten to see what happened. And I could not believe that Northwestern – it's been a challenging summer and fall for Northwestern for a lot of reasons. The scandal uh, involving Pat Fitzgerald and the hazing, the really – I torpedoed this program, and it will continue to torpedo this program. They're, they're kind of really scratching just to stay afloat. Minnesota, it was, it was in North, at Northwestern. They were up 21-0. They were up 31-10 to start the fourth quarter. Somehow, Minnesota allowed Northwestern to tie the game and win it in overtime. So Northwestern does have some momentum going into this game. But this defense, Penn State's defense, is not ever going to be confused with Minnesota's uh, defense. Uh, it's just deeper and more athletic. But Johnny, two things I wanted to, I, I think moving forward, you're going to see more of a couple of things we saw in the Iowa game. I think Penn State had something saved defensively for the Iowa game. And I think that uh, it looks like now you can see the Penn, so two things. Chop Robinson had a, had his best game of the year, one of the best games of his career, maybe the best game of his career. And he just took over the game outside. But they also used him at defensive tackle to get three defensive ends you know, on the field, in the game. I thought it would be Deny that would kick inside because he's a little bit bigger, but they kicked Chop inside. They had Deny and Adisa outside, and it was just a bad, bad uh, matchup for Iowa. That It's not the last we're going to see of that moving forward. And the other thing, Johnny, I would just to get your thoughts on, you know, they might not be getting explosive plays the way they want to, but the way that Penn State can convert fourth downs on that quarterback sneak play with their quarterback, who's 6'5", 240, and Tyler Warren behind him kind of giving an, a nice little friendly shove. You know, if it's fourth and one or fourth and one and a half, and they're on in the enemy side of the field, inside of the 50, I mean, I think they're eight of nine uh, on fourth downs. They all haven't been sneaks, but it's going to be a tough play for any defense to stop. Iowa's defense is not bad. They couldn't stop it, I think, three times. The other was a pass. But I just think this is a way that Penn State can shorten the game even more and also keep their defense fresh off the field and also wear out the other defense. But you may see less and less field goal attempts if it's fourth and one and Penn State's, say, at the enemy 35 or within. I think the percentages favor them to use this sneak and try and, you know, shorten the game, uh, get closer to a touchdown. I don't think this is going away. And I don't really know how you defend it. It's just real. It's it's simple velocity. It's size. It's I mean, it's the offensive line. It's the shove. Um, it's this is going to work for Penn State moving forward. And I think you're going to see them. They're, they're, I think they're number one in time of possession right now in the nation. And this is a play that could keep them maybe in the top five in, time, in terms of time of possession. Yeah, Bob, it's a play that has helped the Philadelphia Eagles quite a bit over the last you know season plus. With with Jalen Hurts in the offensive line, it's funny. After the Iowa game, you know you know how when you know the media relations people will come around and, and to each player uh, during their media scrum, their interview scrum, 
they'll give a little two question like heads up, like two questions left, guys. And I wasn't able to get one of those final two questions to Drew. But as he was walking away, I was like, hey, Drew, you know, have you, you know, watched any Jalen Hurts film on those little, on the tush push is what it's called. And he said, no, but I know our O-line has, you know, so that offensive line, Phil Troutwine, you know, they've done a great job with that. That's a play that they can use and that they continue, can continue to use. And, and that affects how you call an offense too, because on third and six, you know, if you're, if you're not necessarily, th- well, obviously you want to get the first down, but you can be strategic about it and say, all right, we'll take an underneath route, underneath route and take five yards and set up a fourth and one knowing uh, that odds are in our favor to convert, at least so far through four games. Because right now, like you mentioned, Bob, they're eight of nine on fourth down. That rate uh, among teams with at least nine fourth down attempts so far this season ranks second in the country behind only Army. And we know, you know Army's prowess running the football and how just you know, tough they are in short yardage. So um, it's a really good sign. Uh, for this offense, it's a good sign for the offensive line in particular that they're able to get that push and, and they're able to convert those. And credit to Tyler Warren too, and you know he got rewarded uh, in, in the red zone, you know catching a couple of touchdown passes. Uh, that that push is uh, is you know critical um, on that play. And you mentioned you know Chop Robinson, you know flipping inside where you get three DNs on the field. Uh, that's just it, it's just cheating at that point. Like if you're able to have those three guys on the field uh, on a third and long or second and long. Uh, and really put the quarterback, you know, and, and really the offensive line under duress, uh, because those those tack those guards, excuse me, those guards in the center are so used to dealing, especially in the Big Ten, really used to dealing with three hundred pound dudes that they are not equipped to keep up with the quickness of Chop Robinson. Now, if they you know, try and double team him, maybe maybe he gets stoned, but that opens up an opportunity for someone else. He's just too quick. He's too quick to handle on the inside one on one. And I thought that was really impressive the way that they used him against Iowa. And again, would not be surprised if they use it again in the future. Yeah. And one more thing about the fourth down sneak. I asked James Franklin about it at the end of his news conference. He actually referenced the USC play when Matt Leinard and uh, that team won at Notre Dame on a very similar play where he, I think it was Matt Leinard sneaked the ball in. And he, I think, I, I don't know if it was Reggie Bush, somebody pushed him into the end zone or he wouldn't have got in there. James referenced that play. He also said, you know, Penn State fans are used to years, you know, a couple years ago when they were good, you know, they were they, they wouldn't go under center, even even when it was third and one or fourth and one. There'd be times that they, the play would get stopped in the backfield. James referenced the fact that, that the play that they're doing right now was not always legal. They, they, they It was not legal to do that. I think I have that right. He said they've made it legal again. We like it. We'll see if it's continued to be uh, an illegal, uh, a legal play, excuse me, where, where you can push the guy from behind. So we'll see. But Penn State fans, you should look for that play a lot more uh, in the coming weeks. I don't think Penn State's going to be afraid. If it's fourth and a yard or fourth and four feet, you know, just outside of a yard, I think you're going to see that because it just it really favors them when you look t- talk about somebody as big as Drew. Penn State's interior of the offensive line can get some push, and, and he's, he's going to be able to get pushed from behind. So I think that that is actually a play that they might not get many yards out of it, but it's going to really have a significant impact on a lot of games moving forward because it's so hard to stop and a defense starts to get tired out. And then the runs that go for two or three yards in the first half in the third and fourth quarter when they've been on the field far too long, that's when they start turning into seven and eight yard gains. So I don't think it's going away. I think Penn State was smart to capitalize on the play. And I think they're only just getting started with fourth down. Yeah, I, I like it as a wrinkle uh, to use. 
you know, the T formation is something that we're all familiar with now at this point. And speaking of wrinkles, I asked James Franklin about Bo Prabula at his Tuesday press conference and about, you know, how much he's already played through, you know, four games, 67 snaps, you know, all garbage time at this point. Yeah, there have been a couple of series where he comes in and there's still a lot of the first team out there for a series uh, just to get him more experience with that group. Uh, but James Franklin, you know, I just asked him how he thought Bozeman playing. And James went out of his way again to say that we have a bigger package that involves Bo, uh, whether that's third down, red zone, a change up kind of play. He even referenced uh, and mentioned that they had one of those change up plays dialed up and ready coming out of a timeout. Uh, against Iowa. And James, uh, you know, at the last minute vetoed it, uh, decided to keep it in his back pocket, I guess. Uh, but that is something that defensive coordinators uh, and head coaches of opposing teams, they're going to see in the coming weeks. They're going to they're gonna have to game plan for. And, you know, we've already seen Bo, uh, you know, get to the outside, you know, be super patient with those quarterback draws. It's funny because, like, you know, late in games, it's like he immediately goes to the draw and he's really good at it. But it's like defenses are, like, stunned. You know, the Iowa defense looked surprised that he was running a quarterback draw. It's like, you guys must have really not watched any film on him whatsoever. Now, granted, I guess if you figure you're watching film on him, it means you're probably down by a lot. So maybe <laughs> I, I wouldn't blame him, I guess. But either way, I think we're going to see more Bo Prabola, you know, going forward. At, you know, while you want to maybe put it on film and make defensive coordinators look at it and spend time on it, uh, I think that, you know, James made the point today that, you know, every D coordinator in the Big Ten that Penn State is going to play upcoming, they know that that play, that, that some kind of, you know, change up play with Bo is in the playbook. So they're going to have to, they're going to have to prepare for it. Yeah. Let's get to a couple more things here on the blue-white breakdown here. Uh, Bob Flounders with Johnny McGonigal. I, I don't know about you, Johnny, but it's it's been a constant. Hey, look, they're 4-0. They've, they've won every game comfortably at the end. I mean, maybe there were a couple tense minutes uh, moments against Illinois, but not really. I just feel like Penn State's just had every game kind of in hand. But, you know, the fans, they're, I don't know if they're, they're not at the games, they're watching the games on TV, and they always want a little bit more, right? And I guess that is human nature. Uh, as a Cowboys fan, I always want a little bit more uh, from them, especially after they get skunked by Arizona. So I think it is human nature. But my point is I still hear – some quibbling about this Penn State offense. And it's not necessarily it's not necessarily generated about maybe Nick Singleton, who just really is, is really it's been a slow go to start the year for Nick. And we could talk about that, but Penn State fans always want to know. They're not always asking me, but I could hear them talking amongst themselves. Why doesn't Penn State throw the deep ball? Right. And it is true, they have not thrown a lot of deep balls. The only one really of significance to me was the deep pass right before half against Illinois that he connected, drew through a great pass to Liam Clifford that set up a field goal, extended a six-point lead to nine. Even Keandre Lambert Smith's long touchdown against West Virginia, it was more of a catching run, like a 30 or 35-yard catch on the run that he just took the other, you know, 40, 45 yards. It was also it was also more of like a broken, but not, yeah, not really it was a broken play. play. It was not really, hey, this is the first read. I'm just gonna wait. I'm gonna throw it 65 yards down the field. But Johnny James talked a little bit about why they have not thrown the ball deeper consistently, and he kind of went to great lengths to talk about it. Really has a lot to do with how opponents want to play them, and he specifically referenced Illinois and Iowa and their approach to pass defense. 
yeah, I mean, if it's if it's not there, if you're going to just try and, and you know keep those plays out of the playbook, out of you know Mike Yersich's mind, uh, th- there's there's no reason to force it. There really is, especially if you have so much talent up front. If you've got Nick Singleton and Katron out in the backfield, and you know if you've got a guy like Keandre Lambert Smith who can catch and run, if you've got a big body or two, you know, with Tyler Warren and Theo Johnson, you know, if, if the defenses are going to take that away from you then there's no reason to force it unless you just want to put it on film and you're up by a, a million points. Like I could see them, you know, maybe taking a, a deep shot or two at Northwestern uh, just to hit on one and, and instill some confidence. But I mean, if the defense is going to give you four or five yards every single time, like you, you it would be like coaching malpractice not to take it. And so I think Penn State has done a really good job of that. And, and James mentioned it today and he mentioned it after the Iowa game. And I had mentioned it earlier in this podcast about just the patience of Mike Yersich as a play caller and, and how he's just you know, taking what the defense has to give. Like, that, that's not a bad thing. That, that's not a bad thing. So, like, I understand, especially after seeing that Keandre Lambert-Smith touchdown to open the West Virginia game, when you see Drew's arm on display, like, Penn State fans want to see that. It's fun. I, like, I, I, I don't blame you at all. I would love to just sit back and watch Drew Aller throw, like, 30 deep balls a game, you know, because he throws such a good ball. But – if it doesn't make sense, then it doesn't make sense. And and those plays will come with time. You know, when you when you get the run game going and defenses will have to creep up a little bit more, create those one-on-one opportunities, and you know, they'll have to cash in on those when they come. But there's no reason to force anything. Yeah. And it and it has not helped that Harrison Wallace, uh, even though he he was suited up uh for the Iowa game and he played a couple of plays, he just has not been a hundred percent the last two weeks. James said he was better. I, he felt he was better and close. But if he was close, I think he would have played more. I mean, he didn't play a lot of snaps. And he, you know, he is he is a guy that in practice in the off season and at times last year, you could see he was really good at the the contested catch, especially on deep balls. He can, he can get up. He can get up. He's got a nice vertical. He has a sense of kind of as a basketball background. You know, like going up for a rebound. He knows how to kind of win those. Uh, 50-50 balls. They didn't. Ha- they don't have him, and everyone is kind of really worried about Keandre. And if you look at the rest of the receiving core, they can all do good things. But I don't know that I would call Liam Clifford maybe a, a steady deep threat, or even Caden Saunders. They, they don't necessarily have another guy to kind of pair with him. And I think when he gets back healthy, I think maybe they might be a little bit more intrigued by maybe taking a couple of shots down the field. And you'll see that, you know, it's, it's just been one of those things. Just be, you just got to be patient with this Penn State offense. And Johnny, like, it's, it's like you said, when, when you're winning by, you know, when you're winning, when what's the closest margin that's, it's been 17 points uh, has been the closest margin in this game. There's really, there's no really in the third quarter of the late third quarter, when you're already, you have the backups in, you're not going to really be throwing a lot of deep balls anyway. So I just think you just got to wait. I think it's there. And I think when they're healthy, you're going to see it, but you know, and I, as a side note to that, James said today in practice that uh, said today he was asked about Keandre that actually you know his practice battles with Kalen King have really got them both razor sharp. You don't see it with Kalen King on the field because no no one's throwing at him, but um, those guys really go at it in practice. And I do think uh, it was my last point. This Northwestern team is going to have to throw the ball against Penn State. I don't know if it's going to go very well. Illinois tried to throw the ball a lot against Penn State. 
Altmaier was picked off four times. They returned an interception for a touchdown against Delaware. I mean, if you want to throw the ball a ton against Penn State and they're going to play, they got guys who can play press man, you know, good luck with that. You're going to hit some. They're going to get some too. Uh, I know that that Northwestern quarterback threw for a ton of yards against Minnesota, but I have to think Kalen King, Johnny Dixon, you know, Cam Miller, Daquan Hardy are really hoping to see them try and throw the ball. 35 to 40 times against them because they haven't had a lot of work and they they are they are hungry to make some plays. Yeah, Minnesota's defense, all all due respect to them, they do not have uh Kalen King. They don't have a preseason all-American like Kalen King. They don't have one of the most underrated, I think, corners in the Big 10 and the country in Johnny Dixon. Uh Cam Miller has flashed and shown that, you know, he's capable of stepping in when needed. Daquan Hardy's a vet. Even the young guys like Elliot Washington, uh, Zion Tracy getting some run and, and King Mack as well. And special teams and then defense here and there. Like those three guys, by the way, you know, we're four games in, they played four games. So those three plus Tony Rojas, who has also played four games, all four of those, who, they were the green light guys before the season. And that's staying true. Uh, they'll, they'll more than likely play in their fifth game at Northwestern for the red shirts. But you got to love what Penn State has in the secondary. And then you've also you got Jalen Reed and uh, you know, KJ Winston, Zaki Wheatley, Keaton Ellis at safety, guys that can easily, you know, whether it's in the run game coming down and making a play or you know, have, have a nose for the ball uh, as well. So, yeah, Northwestern, like they're probably going to have to throw because you would assume that Penn State will get a big lead in this one. And I don't think, you know, if you're Northwestern, you can really afford to just shut yourself off, like shut half the field off and not throw at Kalen King, because then you're just making it way too obvious for Penn State's defense um, to key in on what on what they're going to try to do. So uh, maybe Kalen gets some actual action this week because, you know, he is one of the best cornerbacks in the country and he just he doesn't have the stats to prove it, but that's OK. That's OK. That's like the ultimate sign of respect. I mean, that's what teams did to Joey Porter Jr. last year. And that's why Kalen King had 18 pass breakups because he's really talented and you know, p- teams weren't throwing at JPJ. That's what's happening to Kalen King right now. And I think it's only a matter of time before he gets his. Good point, John. I just was on Pro Football Focus looking at the individual grades for Penn State's defensive, pl- uh, defensive players. Some would surprise you. Some might not surprise you. But you, know, you can't even find Kalen King on the list of cornerbacks because they don't have anything to grade him on. He's... He's there's I mean, he's gotten so like he you're not going to get a high grade when you get thrown at maybe once or twice a game. I mean, they're not really completing anything, but it's a volume business when it comes to grading. And they want you know, you're not going to if you're not breaking up passes, or you're not intercepting passes. It's it's I just wish that you got to take those grades with a, a little bit of a grain of salt and Penn State fans. It doesn't mean that just because he hasn't you, you look at the stats and he's got one pass breakup or one pass defense. It doesn't mean that he's not an outstanding player. He's making. Penn State's defense better because he's actually shrinking the field for the offense. They're, they can only attack half the field, maybe two-thirds of the field, because they just do not want to mess with the guy. So just with a grain of salt, when you see Kalen King, I actually give him a lot of credit for being patient. And, you know, he I, when you watch him, Johnny, we watch him, he doesn't look like he's frustrated out there. He was the first one out there to congratulate Keandre Lambert-Smith after his touchdown catch. I mean, he is, he is a, a very good player. His time is coming. There are some passing games later this season where he's going to get tested, but it's just, you got to take it, I think, with a grain of salt. Uh, I think I've used that before on this podcast, but this Penn State defense is really, really playing at a, at a level that I have not seen during the James Franklin era. 
It should continue against Northwestern, Johnny. But before we end this Blue-White Breakdown podcast, Johnny, vitamin C, maybe a little zinc. Hopefully we can nip this thing in the bud. It's only Tuesday. If there's any Penn Live, Penn State football tech subscribers that want to reach out to Johnny with maybe some remedies to kind of get this thing over before it really starts so we can have a, a productive, ambitious, exciting trip in Chicago. It's a great city. Feel free to fire away. But yeah, get some rest. It was a long weekend. And you guys, I'll be back with Dave Jones uh, a little bit later this week. Johnny, I think you're going to do another Blue White Breakdown podcast with Dustin Hawkinsmith. I'm looking forward to going back to Chicago. Not crazy about an 11 a.m. start, but, you know, the good news is that uh, you get done a lot quicker and you're not going to be in the press box at 2.30 in the morning. This has been the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Live.